Welcome to Movie Maker. I'm Tim Malloy, and today my guest is Dr. Gilda Shepard, director of the extraordinary new documentary, Since I've Been Down. It tells the story of Kamanti Carter, who was sent to prison for a drive-by shooting in the 1990s when he was barely 18, and eventually started an innovative teaching program to help fellow prisoners find purpose behind bars. But this isn't just the story of Kamanti Carter and the terrible decision that he made one night. It also digs deep into factors far beyond his control, like Los Angeles gangs who strategically expanded his neighborhood, the hilltop section of Tacoma, Washington, and recruited young children, even threatening to kill their parents if they tried to keep them in school. The film also explains how redlining isolated black people to neighborhoods like Hilltop and left kids there with almost no good options. And Dr. Shepard explains how Clinton-era policies like three strikes put men barely out of childhood behind bars for decades or for their entire lives. She strikingly draws subtle connections between child soldiers in Liberia and the child soldiers coerced into American gangs. And then Since I've Been Down becomes a fascinating look at prison life and how men like Kamanti are trying to change it. We even see how his program is breaking down the intense segregation behind bars in an especially surprising sequence you'll hear Dr. Shepard and I talk about soon. Since I've Been Down is now available on demand. I highly recommend checking it out. So, Dr. Gilda Shepard, welcome to Movie Maker. Congratulations on the film since I've been down. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. It, it, it is mind-blowing. About every, every few minutes, somebody said something in this movie that was so striking to me and that just reframed things in a way that I'd never thought about before. And I just think you did an astonishing job of covering a lot of territory and not making just another criminal justice documentary. Um, how did you How did you end up making this film? I mean, you've been a professor of sociology at Evergreen since 1998, right? Yes, 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 yes. And now I'm faculty emeritus. I am a full-time filmmaker. Yes. Nice. <laughs> did you before? Did you start making films into your academic career? What happened? Yeah. Well. Um, yeah. I into my academic career, but you know when I always used film and the visual medium as an organizing tool. Right. I would even take stories from people in my neighborhood about desegregation and and. Um, uh, issues in schools and and take them around to different community organizations. It became like um, a vehicle for to get voices into a context where those voices sometimes are not heard but talked about. So mm -hmm. I've always used the visual medium. I just and as I continued to grow and develop, because you know I did a film on Africa Town, USA, and Alabama something about the, uh, Zorna Hurston's uh, ethnographic research. And then I did one, uh, uh, refugees in the Liberian uh, uh, refugee camp. I always use this visual medium. And even when I teach at Evergreen, I would they write a research paper and I would say, translate that into a short film, mm -hmm. some kind of, or a dance or a song, poetry develop a podcast, because I always think that if you do something creative, that you're on a healing path. Mm -hmm. 
because you can take a theory and organically move it around yourself and find your story in that theory, right? So I think it brings intimacy. And that's the reason why I like to work with the people who are most impacted as my storytellers. <laughs> I love that. And you also include dance, you include um, children in masks sort of acting things out dramatically. That goes into that theory. Yeah. When I was doing my, my film in... Um, the Liberian refugee camp, I, I was talking to a lot of people who were child soldiers and they showed me pictures of themselves and they put on masks. Some of them are child soldiers at the early age of 11, right? And they wore masks and capes. Sometimes they had a stuffed animal tucked into their, um, their pockets or, or their backpacks as they had an AK-47 in their hands. They were children and I thought like, ah, these folks who are in gangs, these poor black and brown kids are like child soldiers, right? And so I wanted to show masquerade to show that connection, but also to see so that we can see that they are children and sometimes they are masquerading themselves against this kind of critical thinking that they are not allowed to do their non-negotiable pathway to joining prison because of lack of investment in education. We look at kids, they go to school, they see a police officer before you will see funding for a, a um, social worker or a counselor. So um, I wanted to continue to remind folks, even my poster with kids drawing that, that chalk um, figure on the ground, that that has become almost organic but this is trauma at the same time. So, you know, borrowing from film to film and learning from my subjects. I, I grew up in Los Angeles around the time this was happening. And I don't think we really took seriously the idea that like we were exporting gangs to other cities, That's right. um, but we certainly were. And like, I was like a white kid in the suburbs. And even I remember encountering gangs like with scary regularity. Right. Um, and the, the sort of common wisdom was the ones you have to really worry about are like the wannabes, the kids who are trying to prove themselves, who might be getting drawn into pull-offs and pretty awful crimes because they're not going to be put in the adult criminal justice system. Right. Um, and you really just drive home that point that I don't think people address enough that these mm -hmm. gangs actively recruited children at right. like 11 who right. you show really did not have another opportunity. It wasn't like that thing conservatives love to say of like, well, go get a job at McDonald's. Yeah, right. Just say no. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, these kids yeah. were too young to get a job anywhere. I mean, they, right. they should have been in school and the gangs were actually preventing them from going to school. Yeah, but and then, but then you have to also look at um, where do we start a story? So as a filmmaker and a sociologist, where do we start the story? Do we start the story of how the gangs organize other gangs? Or do we start the story with transformative justice? Do we start the story that, well, where did they get the wherewithal to go over here and organize another gang? Where do we start it? Do we start it with these were children as well who grew up to be OGs, who got addicted to being feared, who didn't deal with their trauma. Many of their parents or their fathers came from the Vietnam War, 
I had stories about that. So my, my father and I were very close and he went to Vietnam War and he came back and he had post-traumatic stress and I didn't know what was going on with my father. And then he got into drugs and, um, and this happened and, and, and I was, you know, pulled away from my father. You know, so where do we start a story? And that's the reason why in the first part of my film, I want to establish, first of all, the victim. I start mm -hmm. the film with the victim talking about the night that my main character murdered her best friend. Yeah. To feel her trauma and what she thought about it together juxtaposition with an OG. So that that conversation can happen. That's the magic of film that the film, you know, that your magazine so well captures and allows us to have a platform for. Right. And so to have that dialogue, you know, the magic of that. So you can hear that she's she's her her car got shot up and you hear um, Billy say, I got addicted to being feared. Yeah. So, so where does that come? These are children. Yeah. How do you get addicted to be in fear? You know what I mean? What, what are we doing in our contradictions to perpetuate that? I mean, you know, yes, California games came over to, to uh, Washington State, Tacoma. Who came over to the California games? Do we want to stop this? Or, you know, so I, I think it's where we begin a, a narrative, where we begin a story. And um, that's why I wanted to begin with, with, the first act to, to look at the crime, to look at the importance of accountability, but also look at what undergrids that. What are some of the social problems and reasons? I mean, these, you join a gang since you were 11, you yes. get socialized that this is protection. This is how I'm gonna rep my hood, you know? Yeah, someone makes the point pretty late in the movie that they don't even want to blame the Department of Corrections for all the injustice because that was like the last part of the funnel as opposed to all the other institutions that failed them. Right, right, exactly. But this is not a slow fade in the gore, right? This is like the, the subject saying, okay, now this is what we need to do and creating a program. Even the, the Seattle and, and Tacoma public schools will visit the prisons, the Black Prisoners Caucus, their education unit, to talk about not just how should we discipline our kids, but what about the pedagogy? Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, Kamanti Carter says and and the, the organization he created, taking education and creating history, teach, not changing, creating, mm -hmm. creating history. He says, we go as fast as our, as our slowest student. Mm. So often we go as fast as our smartest student. And in film, you can do that because I have these visual metaphors of kids dancing, of crumping, of praise dancing, of uh, clear cut fields and the possibility of growth. Mm -hmm. So it gives a resting period for folks to think about, you know, yeah. that's the magic of being an artist. Isn't that right, Tim? Well, so many documentary filmmakers, it drives me crazy as somebody who watched a lot of documentaries, they'll show like, leaves or just a beautiful sunset or something but it doesn't necessarily mean anything right and you use these trees so beautifully and such an incredible juxtaposition with like what we think of as gangs we don't think of this as like the great outdoors but this is Tacoma so they're surrounded by greenery and this right. makes the point that in one of the mind-blowing points anything that's not growing is dying yeah which ties it all together so incredibly 
Yeah, 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 yeah. So the possibility of growth. So, and how we clear cut and our clear cutting of, you know, of, of um, the environment, you know, but also human species sometimes. Yeah, yeah. No, there was a point in the film, you talked about when you start the story and there was a point when you showed the GIs returning and moving to Tacoma. And I thought about the GI bill. It's something I learned pretty recently that black GIs actually weren't eligible for GI home loans and mm-hmm. white GIs were. And so mm-hmm. a lot of people like to say that like, oh, well, slavery was however many years ago, people need to you know, move on da, 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 and just forget that the biggest, the biggest creator of wealth in this country is home ownership. Mm-hmm. And that's something that black soldiers who fought for the United States were denied. And it's just, there's just so many points that you make in this film that you managed to touch on so many things that I don't think a normal criminal justice doc does. And also the solution that you find is pretty astonishing. Um, seeing, seeing those, uh, I don't know how else to put it, the white supremacists sitting between two, two black members of the- um, yeah, The black prisoners caucus, yeah, teach, yeah. What were you there for that? What were you thinking when that was? Uh, going on? I, it, a lot of the film is cinema verite. You know, it just happens, right? Here's Chad, and I I see this tattoo on the back of his head of this skull, and and I'm I'm in the day room, the big day room of the prison. Now you know it took me twelve years to do this film, so which which I'm like, oh, 12 years, but it brought me intimacy with the DOC. Yeah. You know, they yeah. trusted me, right? with the, the, the incarcerated people, their families, you know, with the family reunions and everything. So there was a sense of uh, trust. They met the crew and everything. So here I am sitting, talking to a, a group of guys and Chad, the white guy gets up and takes off his shirt in the day room. I'm like, oh, and he's got swastikas. I told my camera person over there. <laughs> and he says, um, he says, you see, I got swastikas and blah, blah, blah. So you know what I stand. He said, but when I saw what they were doing, just because I love something doesn't mean I have to hate something over there. And I'm like, okay. And there he is sitting between these two black guys, you know, from one from the, uh, the Crips formerly, but, but a teacher and the other guy who's a teacher and the three of them are teachers. Teaching each other about human humanity and how they got to what they are doing. Not just going in the history of, this is what they did. Chicanos did. This is what African-Americans did. This is what the Vikings did. But saying, showing how their histories and cultures come together and how they can create history. Yep. Together. (laughs) Yeah, it was, it was. Honestly, like even what he said that like Viking history, I like my jaw dropped that that's like what he associates with his history. Okay, sure. But the other part, just the idea he's like right on the brink of he's sitting between two black men like he's right right on the brink of like. Recognizing everyone's common humanity and I think is maybe there without even voicing that it was fascinating. Right. It's kind of an aside and could be a whole nother documentary and that's but wow the other i don't even want to say the other because there's so many things in here that we could talk about for hours and hours but 
Wow. The fact that this is so solutions oriented and so focused on people who are going to be in prison for more than seven years, who I did not know get no educational programs or self-improvement programs whatsoever, because I guess the DOC regards that as just, just regards them as just hopeless. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a punishing system. Yeah. It's not a redemptive system. It's not to try to make you better. It's a retributive system. It, it punishes seven years. Right. But instead of just moaning about that, these guys took it upon themselves yep. to teach themselves and each other cross race lines, cross yep. gang lines, cross crime lines. And it's also at the women's prison. It's something about these prisoner initiated programs that the women's prison in the early 2000s, it was the most violent prison in Washington state. But when one of my storytellers, Tanya Wilson and her colleagues started a group called the Women's Vi uh, Village, a prisoner initiated program, crime went down by 50%. And that's not magical. I'm not saying anybody could do that. But um, when we take it upon ourselves and find this agency, who knows what we can do together? Yeah, I, I saw you listed online as a sponsor of the BPC. And I don't know if yeah. that happened after you were involved in the film or before. Can you just talk about your way into the film and your way into the sponsoring the BBC? Yeah. Well, um, after teaching at um, sociology classes at um, Monroe Prison and several of the other prisons, um, I, I found out about the Black Prisoners Caucus. I'm like, where are you all getting all this information? I thought I'm supposed to impart this information, you know, the arrogant academic. And, and finding out about the Black Prisoners Caucus and realizing that, that if there's a prisoner group you have to have someone from the outside come in and just sit there, almost like an overseer, but not quite, you know, in that way, and sit there so that you can have a sponsor. So I wanted to make sure that they had as many sponsors as possible. So I became one of the sponsors, and it brought me more intimacy with um, what was going on in their heads and their hearts and wherever their soul was, what did they, what they needed, but also their sense of agency. The Black Prisoners Caucus had summits on, on um, how to talk to your legislator, how to, you know, youth violence, uh, family, how to read to your children. They had parenting classes and all those things. And I thought, this is part of their redemption. And I wanted to be part of that. I believe that just like art can heal and is what does Breck say? Art doesn't just put a, a mirror on society, but gives you a hammer upon which to shape it. And mm -hmm. so I wanted to be that kind of an artist. So I, so I said, well, um, I'm going to be the person that sits in the room so that they can shape their reality and their possibility because it affects outside too, you know? I mean, so many people are coming in to see uh, the Black Prisoners Caucus summits, you know, um, the secretary of the Department of the Corrections, uh, senators and all, um, Michelle Alexander, who wrote the new Jim Crow came there to visit. So, um, and it was a group that um, attracted so many people. So I was 
wanted to use my privilege in a responsible way. So all along, I was, I, I, I went from Dr. Shepherd, Professor Shepherd, to Auntie Gilda, to Mama G. So, <laughs> so uh, you know, that kind of um, trust and community building is what I go on now. Who do you hope sees this movie in terms of, you know, making some change, like letting people, giving a second chance to people who have made such a huge difference and are totally different people than they were when they were 18 years old? You know, and it changed and it grew who I want to see this movie. I wanted kids, particularly children, to see this movie. I went to a, a, a juvie facility here and I uh, had Kamanti Carter call in and the questions that they asked Kamanti, right? I want to open up this dialogue big so that as James Baldwin says, to be an artist is to show you things that you don't see. I wanted to be that bridge so that folks could see each other and talk to each other, you know? And so I, I particularly want children to see it. The Washington State Supreme Court asked me if they could see it. I want that to happen. The film has started, not started, but helped to stimulate a, a multi-faith group, rabbis, black Christians, Baha'i and Muslim have met together, 700 of them in Washington state, looked at the film, went out in breakout rooms to discuss some of the things. And two days later, we had a lobby day. So it's not just art for art's sake, it is art as possibility, as agency, as so much, right? Mm -hmm. And so, you know, it's, and seeing the subject speak, right? And so the next two days they had a lobby day and then talking about how folks can meet with their representatives and senators about, you know, the brain science, about the importance of prisoner-initiated programs, about these lengthy sentences, about the importance of um, investment in schools and education. And so um, it's those kinds of things that um, are those, you know, to broaden the dialogue. And that's who I want to, to see the film, starting with children, particularly, and then moving from there. Mm -hmm. What what can viewers do after they see this movie when they go, this situation is disastrous mm -hmm. and we need to change it? Mm -hmm. Well, I want folks to be um, become consciousness of this culture of punishment and how we, sometimes unbeknownst to ourselves, contribute to it in a conciliatory with that. Um, and I want to see how our policies that this is not something that, that's ephemeral, that we can't touch, that we can't do something about. I want to see folks to see the importance of counselors in schools, the importance of dealing with trauma-informed practices, right? Um, but I want them to not only see, but also find their agency and their power in legislative policies. And a lot of times we wait for, we voting for the president and not look at, you know, what happens in, in, in our own city and county legislation, you know, what that does. I've shown my film to um, 
the prosecuting attorneys and defense attorneys who I'm not saying change their minds, but put something else on it, you know? And so I, I want people to see their, their possibility. I, it's kind of like what Bell Hooks says. Um, she says, forgiveness and compassion are always linked. And how do we hold people accountable for wrongdoing? And yet at the same time, remain in touch with their humanity enough to believe in their capacity to be transformed. But there's gotta be a context for that transformation. We have to look at violence as a public health issue. Gotta look at drug addiction as a public health issue. We have to realize that that was that 18 year old young boy who went to um, uh, uh, Buffalo, 18. 18. Yeah. What's wrong with him? 18. And goes to, and we find out about Buffalo, New York, and how it was in a food apartheid only because somebody shot it up. We should have known that before. So I think that I want folks to see all the contributing factors. What happens with gentrification, not just gentrification, but is gentrification a legacy, as you so well said, Tim, from the Chinese removal, like the <laughs> Indian removal. Like, I mean, you know, I know people like, oh, come on now, Gilda, but. Uh, it's true. Where do you yeah. start history? It, it, your political views are almost shaped by, or I don't even know if political is the right way. Your understanding of the world is shaped so much by where you start history. That's right. That's so true. I, oh, it's so good talking to you. <laughs> Me too. I mean, for this movie, I think you did an astonishing job of of getting an incredible amount of history across. And you can see, I didn't I didn't realize that this was a twelve year project, but it makes sense understanding that. Can I ask one more thing, please? From a filmmaking standpoint, how did you get this amazing video of these children when they were children on VHS from ninety five? Yeah, well, you know, because like I said, it took me 12 years. Yeah. I got close to the subject and their friends. And so they would say, here come Mama G. And so they would, I go to their basements and I pull out VHS tape, put it in and show. And I was like, can I use this? Yeah. Can I use this? Yeah. Can I use this? And, you know, then I would show the film to some members of the community to say, so what do you think about this, that? And I didn't just follow them like, you know, okay, whatever you say, because I am the filmmaker, right? But mm -hmm. to get, you know, um, footnotes and things like that, you know, they trusted me and they're concerned. You know, these are their friends, right? And so... Um, you know, I've helped to build a community. Um, well, they built the community, but they opened the door and allowed me in. And so I, I, I was able to get this, um, this footage and some of, and, um, some of the folks in, in my film became, ran interference and say, there's a woman named Gilda Shepard, blah, 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 blah. She's, she needs that picture. She needs that picture. Folks who go to their family albums and say, this one, this one, this one, because there's love in this community, you know, and so I was able to, I'm, I'm very lucky, but what is, um, I said, luck is when preparation meets opportunity, you know, <laughs> after making a lot of mistakes, walking in and said, this is what I want to do. I understand now the importance of positionality, you know, as a filmmaker.